Hey, thanks for downloading. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a positive review for me in iTunes. You can also check out my all-too-rarely-updated website at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. Today should be interesting. I, I know I have both devout Christian and atheist friends who listen and everything in between. Discussing Jesus is unavoidable when discussing world history. Over one-third of the entire world is Christian. And as comedian Louis C.K. notes uh, to point out that Christianity dominates world influence, what year is it? Which does bring up a topic I should probably have mentioned in the first episode. You might have noticed I've been saying mostly BCE instead of BC and CE instead of AD. This is standard for historians. BC means before Christ and AD stands for the Latin Anno Domini, which means the year of the Lord. This works great if you're a Christian, but as this year numbering system is basically used uh, in the entire world, it doesn't really acknowledge that most of the world is not Christian. So CE refers to the common era and BCE is before the common era. It lines up exactly the same. And basically, it's like saying Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas in December. It doesn't negate the Christian one. It just acknowledges that not everyone is Christian. And let's talk about years for a second. It's obvious but easy to forget that when, say, Caesar was assassinated in 44 BCE, that the Romans didn't call it 44 BCE or BCE. That's just our modern reckoning. Different societies had their own methods of tracking years. In Rome, for instance, they typically just referred to the year certain men held the office as consul. So Caesar was assassinated on March 15th during the consulship of Caesar and Antonius. Anthony. Or we often hear about the Hebrew calendar, which is in the year 5778, calculated from the origin of the world in the book of Genesis. Dating from the birth of Jesus wasn't developed until 525 CE and wasn't popularized until being endorsed by the Emperor Charlemagne around 800 CE. Plus, it turns out the monk who did the calculations in 525 was wrong, and Jesus was actually born closer to 4 BCE instead of the 1 CE that would have been intended. It's worth noting that there was no year 0. Think of it this way. Year 1 CE, or AD 1, would equal the first year of the Lord. The year before that would be the first year before Christ the 1 BC. This all led to a lot of conversations I had leading up to and during the year 2000 and explaining to friends that it was the last year of the 20th century, not the first year of the 21st century. It's it's simple if you count. 1 through 100 is the first century. 101 through 200 is the second century, etc. And if you think about it, it, it would make no sense for us to be in the 21st century now unless it's the century leading us to the year 2100. So anyway, I had a lot of choices for the topic of Jesus, but I intentionally chose The Last Temptation of Christ so we could discuss the controversy. The film does open by saying it's not based on the Gospels, the four books of the Bible that depict the life of Jesus, but is rather a, quote, fictional exploration of the eternal spiritual conflict. More specifically, is based on the novel of the same name by Nikos Kazantzakis. 
Now, similar to how I dealt with Moses, I don't want to make this a point-by-point comparison of how the movie compares to the Bible. We're looking at history through movies, so we'll look at the story in the film and discuss what we know historically. Again, keep in mind that religious texts, even when they do offer us insight, were never intended as historical documents. But again, they can sometimes help serve that role. Jesus is played by Willem Dafoe. At the opening, we see him in agony on a regular basis as he deals with voices in his head that cause him physical pain. These voices are telling him to lead and that he is sent from God. But Jesus is skeptical as to whether these voices come from God or from the devil. The story takes Jesus' carpentry and puts it to morbid use as he is hired by the Romans to make crosses on which fellow Jews are crucified. And this makes him wildly unpopular within the Jewish community of Galilee. Galilee is a region in northern Israel, or at the time of Jesus, the Roman province of Judea, and Jesus is believed to be from the city of Nazareth in Galilee. As Jesus delivers his crosses to the execution sites and even helps nail the convicted to them, he is cursed and spit at by his people. He explains to his friend Judas that he basically does it because he's angry angry with God and wants him to choose someone else. We get the feeling that Jesus has been out of sorts for a while now and is ready for a change. Before he heads off to the desert to study and reflect, he stops to say goodbye and apologize to his good friend and the prostitute, Mary Magdalene. It's implied that they have a past romantic relationship that was never consummated. All she's ever wanted was him, but he's always been distracted and just impossibly hard on himself. Anyway, Jesus spends some time in the desert living with the very religious He says he wants to rebel against God and against morality, but he's just too afraid. His life's dominated by fear. Finally, after talking to them, he he decides he's ready to embrace his role as teacher. He says he will open his mouth and God will do the talking. He returns to town and the first thing he encounters is Mary Magdalene being stoned by a crowd. He intervenes and says, essentially, let he who is without sin cast the first first stone. They don't have him say exactly that, but it's definitely the, the point. He starts to realize that his message is that love trumps all, and he gradually starts gaining a following. And those who will become his apostles are among his first followers here. Judas tries to convince Jesus that before worrying about loving their neighbor, they need to be free of Roman control. And Jesus insists that no, love and the soul are all that matter and must come first. Judas starts to think that Jesus may be the prophesied Messiah, the savior of the Jewish people, but Jesus is skeptical. They decide to go to John the Baptist and ask, a man who's been saying the Messiah will come. John is intrigued and does seem to sense something in Jesus. He even has Jesus baptize him as well. And John says God's way is violence and cites Sodom and Gomorrah. But Jesus again says love is the answer. John tells him to go again to the desert and talk to God. Then this time in the desert, Jesus has visions of what appears to be Satan tempting him. Uh, The first is telling him to just stop trying to save humanity and have a a nice, normal life with a family. And the second vision is telling him to use this newfound power he has within him to acquire power, like become like a a ruler and and, and just dominate society. In the final vision, it tells him that he is the only son of God himself. So again, he's always kind of unsure who these visions are from. When he returns again to civilization, he hears that John the Baptist has been killed at the order of Herod, the ruler of Judea. This is the son of Herod the Great who built the fortress at Masada. These were the local rulers, 
whereas someone like Pontius Pilate was a Roman sent to administrate the area for the empire. Jesus' followers are wavering a bit, but then we get to the miracles of Jesus, and we see him cure the blind, turn water into wine, and bring Lazarus, Lazarus back from the dead. He leads his followers to Jerusalem and wants to begin to build a new world. They flip out at the money changers at the temple, those making a profit on the Jews converting currency for donation to something without a graven image on it, and doing so right under God's nose. And then they go back later to disrupt these transactions again, and the Romans are ready this time. Jesus' followers await his order to attack, but he won't, he won't give it. Love must win. So they leave, and they're not really sure what to do, and, and Jesus has foreseen his death on the cross. He, he hopes to find another way out, but he fears it is the only way to save humanity. Jesus has to convince Judas to betray him for the greater good. After their last supper together, Judas shows up with Roman soldiers who arrest Jesus. His punishment for inciting his little rebellions is crucifixion. After he is tortured and beaten, he has a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's forced to carry his own cross, just as he had carried those he made in the beginning, to the hill where he is crucified. Now, here's where the bigger controversy comes in. While he's suffering on the cross, a little girl appears who claims to be his guardian angel. She tells him it has all been a test of faith from God and that he has passed. She compares it to like Abraham being told to kill his son and all the things Job went through. And she takes him off the cross and Jesus goes on to live the normal life he always wanted and never thought he could have. He marries Mary Magdalene, and after her death, marries the sister of Lazarus, with whom he has children. We see the decades pass. Jesus, walking with his family, encounters a man preaching about the sacrifice of Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul. Jesus gets mad at Paul for lying about him. He says, he's right here. He didn't die on the cross. Paul says, that doesn't matter. It's the message that matters. Again, more years later, Judas tells Jesus that he feels betrayed. Jesus made him betray his friend to save them, but Jesus sacrificed nothing, and now Israel has been destroyed and Jerusalem burns. And Jesus, as an old man near death, realizes that his guardian angel was actually Satan tricking him. This was the last temptation, giving him a normal life. Jesus begs God to let him be crucified back on that day when he was younger. He's ready to be the Messiah. The term Christ is from the Greek word for Messiah. His prayer is granted, and he dies smiling on the cross, saying, It is accomplished. So, ultimately, I think the controversy is the audacity some felt the creators took in altering or taking license with the biblical story of Jesus, along with, of course, the sexual content in, included in a movie about Jesus. But outside of those two things, I think you can argue it's very in keeping with the spirit of Christianity. We don't just hear about the sacrifice of Jesus, but actually see the preferred life he gave up. Now, from a historical point, we don't actually have a ton to go off of. Some even go so far as to argue that Jesus didn't exist at all, but those, those arguments have pretty much been debunked. He's an interesting figure in that his notoriety and influence was quite small, worldwide speaking, during his life, but his, his legacy thereafter is virtually unrivaled in all of human existence. But given what they do have, even historians basically agree that Jesus was a Jew from Galilee, who preached in that region for a year or two or three before being crucified at the order of Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea at the time. They also agree that he was baptized by John the Baptist. 
But overall, we, we can't really know what the movie got right and what it got wrong. It definitely finds a way to root the world of the Gospels in the gritty, dirty world of the Mideast 2,000 years ago. Ultimately, whatever your personal beliefs, most of the details are just unknowable. Christians themselves don't agree on everything, and Christians and non-Christians alike are biased by what they want to be true. Let's look briefly at a few other characters from the film. John the Baptist was a Jewish preacher of the time of Jesus. Uh, for Christians and Muslims alike, he served as the herald of Jesus. The Gospels report his famous beheading at the Order of Herod, but there doesn't seem to be a strong historical case for or against this. The Apostle Paul, who Jesus runs into in the movie, was an early Christian advocate. He is sometimes called Saul, but the idea I'd always heard of him changing his name from Saul to Paul when he became a Christian seems to be false. The two names are just considered interchangeable with each other. He is credited with writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Now, half of those are disputed and may have been written by, by someone else, but seven of them, it is agreed, were written by Paul himself in the first two decades after the death of Jesus. A small role in the movie is the character of Peter, one of Jesus' steadfast supporters and apostles. Basically, everything we know about Peter comes from the Bible itself with Paul's letters and early church tradition. He is credited with being the first pope. And now, I don't know why I think this is neat, but if you start at Pope Francis on Wikipedia, you can keep clicking predecessor until you end up at St. Peter. If you're looking to kill 10 to 20 minutes, it's, it's mildly entertaining. Pontius Pilate is historical, but he's, he's largely insignificant outside of his role of prefect when Jesus was ordered to die. Again, the larger significance is Christianity itself. Early on, Christians were just a small sect of Judaism and persecuted by other Jews and by the Romans. In the 4th century, Roman Emperor Constantine formally ended this persecution, and later that same century, Emperor Theodosius made Christianity the official religion of Rome. As the western half of the Roman Empire collapsed in the 5th century, the papacy in Rome became itself a major political force. Today, Christianity is the largest religion in the world with well over 2 billion Christians of all the various denominations that have evolved over the centuries, and I'm sure we'll discuss some of them in more detail down the line. I suppose I could call myself a cultural Christian. I don't go to church. I did grow up celebrating Christmas and Easter, but they were always more about holiday and family traditions than they ever were about religious belief. Elsewhere in the world around this time, the Colosseum of Rome was built 40 to 50 years after the death of Jesus. The Funan Kingdom in Cambodia was established in the first century. Emperor Tiberius of Rome died about four years after Jesus and was succeeded by his great-nephew Caligula, who's known for his perverted megalomania. And no, we won't be watching that movie. The Last Temptation of Christ, possibly due to boycotting, struggled just to break even at the box office. Though it was viewed mostly favorable by critics, it has an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes and earned Martin Scorsese one of his eight nominations for Best Director at the Academy Awards. Other movies about Jesus you might check out, King of Kings, The Greatest Story Ever Told, or The Passion of the Christ. Next week, we stay in Rome, but travel 150 years ahead to see the beginning of the end of the empire as the Pax Romana that we saw begin under Augustus begins to unravel in 1964's The Fall of the Roman Empire. 